0: welcome welcome welcome, one and all especially you punks out there to watch if you dare podcast i am your scaredy boy Derek smith and joining me as always is my co-host the brave boy aaron mansfield how you
1: doing aaron what horror have you been digging into lately oi motherfuckers so this week i have actually gone through a couple of different things like i mentioned last episode i finished the bprd comics so, 100% done with that.
0: How long have you been reading those? Because it was meaty. Like, you've brought this up a couple times on our, our past episodes.
1: So, BPRD, like, proper is about 160-something issues. But okay. then there's maybe... 60 issues of Abe Sapien, and then there's like another maybe 60 issues between Witchfinder and Lobster Johnson and a lot of the other one-off spinoff stuff like Koshay the Deathless and Frankenstein Underground. And then, of course, Hellboy proper, which has been finished for a while now. Overall, it was a good chunk to read through, and I kind of got to a point where I could stop with BPRD, and I was waiting for the last giant story arc to finish, so I just finished reading that, and it ends as apocalyptically appropriate as I was kind of hoping. It ends in a way that i found to be fairly satisfying for all the build-up. It's not necessarily some, like, giant, momentous kind of thing. It's very... For some characters, the end is kind of quiet and subdued, and for other characters, it literally is going out in a blaze of glory, so it just kind of depends, but I, I think it's interesting where things end up, but it's totally appropriate for everything that Mignola and company has kind of set up this entire time, so I've, I very much enjoyed the finish.
0: That's, that's good, because I mean, in this modern day era of, especially with like what happened with Game of Thrones of endings seeming to not be ideal for everyone or not sticking the landing or what have you that's good to hear that's something that lasted that long seems to have stuck the landing
1: well i think regardless of that too just a lot of the things that i personally am into are coming to a close this year The first giant, massive story arc of all the Marvel movies just concluded with Endgame, essentially. Game of Thrones is... Game of Thrones, a TV show, is now finished. I'd still hold to the fact that we're never going to see those other two books. Fucking Um, no, we are not. (laughs) Nah, Martin is going to die while eating a pork chop, and we're just never going to (laughs) finish... (laughs) <laughs> we're never going to finish that series. Yeah, the, the Hellboy universe as a whole is not completely done. Like, there's going to be some continuance here and there, but the main massive story arc is finished at this point. The main saga Star Wars movies are supposedly coming to a close with Episode Nine at the end of this year. So just a lot of things that I've been into for a long time are all wrapping up all of a sudden. So I'm curious to see what happens going forward. Yeah. Beyond that, I did catch a couple... of movies i watched cold skin which was a movie that was released on shutter it's like a French-Spanish co-production based on a novel, and it's very Lovecraft-inspired. It's late 1800s. A young guy takes a job at this remote lighthouse on this rocky island, and it's, you know, somewhere far up in, like, the Black Sea or maybe, like, the Arctic Circle, and there's already this lighthouse guardian guy who's disgruntled and just, you know, drunk all the time. I and mean, it's Ray Stevenson. He was <laughs> the Punisher in Punisher Warzone. And speaking of Game of Thrones, if they had ever actually introduced Victarian, he was kind of my casting choice for Victarian. Fuck yeah. But the whole catch is that this isolated, desolate island with this lighthouse essentially is just it. Every night all of these like humanoid fish people monsters swarm the coastline and try to attack the guys in this lighthouse and they have to fight them off every night so there's more to it than that there are definitely some twists that involve maybe like some sexy times with the fish people fish fucking oh yeah it definitely goes there but it was it was interesting enough. Uh, the special effects in it were actually pretty solid, all said and done. Um, I watched the Shout Factory release of Cherry Falls for the first time. Um, I have never seen that movie, but I've kind of heard about it over the years from various people especially since the shout Factory blu-rays come out it's one that kind of fell through the cracks for a while since it didn't get a proper theatrical release but it's Brittany Murphy and Michael bean and Jay Moore there's a handful of other people in it but it's just kind of a slight satire on those early to mid-2000s lots of pretty people playing high schoolers slasher movies with a whodunit of the slasher. I It was fun. I think the plot idea is interesting that the killer is targeting virgins, so there's kind of now this giant craze within the high school where everybody's trying to lose their virginity. I think the satire could have gone a good bit further, because when it hits the satire notes it's great it's really over the top and hilarious but there are times where it does take itself a bit too seriously but it, it was a good nostalgia throwback it reminded me a lot of the like new line garbage from when we were growing up that just kind of had that look where all these high schoolers again are like 30 and they're all dressing super edgy with leather jackets and everybody's hair is constantly quaffed up and in reality most high schoolers are just either wearing school uniforms or they're wearing like the most bare bones acceptable clothing to school and nobody's really done up right yeah
0: I mean I went to catholic high school so I was totally in uniform but when I was out of school you know I was wearing like jeans and a band t-shirt thinking I was the coolest shit ever which funny enough I'm still wearing bands and (laughs) band t-shirts and jeans right now in fact I'm wearing an uncle acid shirt and jeans
1: but yeah it it was fun for what it was the story kind of behind the movie was interesting just learning like how the whole thing fell apart and it was supposed to get theatrical release and it didn't at the last minute so it was interesting and it again kind of sad to see britney murphy in her prime because she was fantastic in the movie um so you know sad that we had loss of a talent like her at an early age i also checked out bruiser from 2000 which was george romero's Kind of last original thing that he did before he just jumped back onto the Of the Dead train. Um, Unfortunately, since that was all anybody would really give him money for past a certain time. Bruiser was... uh, it was fine. It's definitely on the bottom of my George Romero list. The plot is Jason Fleming is kind of this high up executive at like an advertising company and he's got this giant house and a trophy wife and a boss played by Peter Stormare who's just an absolute scumbag and it's everything from like Chuck Palahniuk uh people are bad the world is bad society's terrible like edginess And he, like, wakes up one day and has this white blank mask fused to his face. And so, of course, he takes advantage of that and starts, like, offing people around him that he can't stand and, you know, righting the wrongs of society and... ah. I don't know. Like, it was way too preachy. And the special effects and everything in it were kind of sketch. But for the budget it had, it's fine, I guess. I don't know. It was an interesting idea, but it was maybe, like, way too try hard for what it was trying to do and too preachy. Right. I also watched Murder Rock by Fulci, which was kind of like Suspiria, but with way more cocaine. <laughs> it's the same idea of, like, this elite dance academy. And we're only going to accept two or three people to do this giant music music video dance thing and so somebody's killing off the competition but it doesn't have that dreamlike kind of feel.
0: Yeah, like it lacks it lacks the stylistic choices that Suspiria makes.
1: Oh, oh, there there are stylistic choices in this, dear sir. Okay. Just not the same ones that uh Argento takes in Suspiria. Right. Because even Fulci has like a dreamlike quality to a lot of his movies. But Murder Rock was just, hey, you know what's popular right now? Flash Dance. Let's also have a five-minute long sequence where a girl in a high-waisted bikini is just just flailing around to a terrible disco song with, like, slight moisture, mist, rain falling from the ceiling inside where there shouldn't be that happening. This sounds so bad that I would enjoy it. It it kinda is in certain ways. Again, that dance sequence that I just mentioned is the most over-the-top let me be sexy kind of dance that I've ever seen. So it's kind of hilarious in that way, but it's just sleazy in a lot of the ways that Italian 80s slashers tend to be. So it was it was fun for the most part. It's like I said, it's wild. It's making some choices. Good. Eh. The last thing that I'll mention, because this is genuinely an amazing movie, I rewatched The Devils by Ken Russell for the first time in a long time, because the last podcast on the left recently did a two-part series on the Devils of Ludon, um, which was all the nuns that just kind of, quote, went into hysterics and were possessed by the evils of this kind of progressive, not pastor, not parishioner, uh, priest, you know, he generally was kind of Kind of a little more forward-thinking than the Catholic Church at large during that time. And he took a wife. And essentially, just this convent of nuns, like, ruined him. Drove the whole area into hysterics. The whole town kind of literally fell apart as a result of the whole situation. The movie's great. It's it's Oliver Reed at his, like, sweatiest, drunkest, but fantastic. It's probably his best performance. And not Miranda Richardson. Um... Ah, uh, damn it, I'll think of it in a second. The actress that plays the main nun is fantastic. Everybody in it, like, from a performance standpoint, is good, but it's one of those where, like, the production is so over-the-top and insane. It's very interesting visually to watch, and the story in general is very interesting, so I I very much enjoyed it, and it was the, like, fully uncut, everything's all-together version, so I'm really hoping that one day, like, some group is going to get it put out, whether it's Criterion or Shout Factory or whoever. Like, I'm just hoping somebody gets that movie put out eventually, but Warner Brothers has been kind of keeping a tight leash on it for years. Yeah,
0: because I was going to say, I would love to do that movie for our show. That sounds fantastic. Yeah,
1: it's one that we will do eventually, just for the themes involved. It's not like a scary movie per se, but it definitely falls in line with a lot of the general themes. But, you know, we just need to wait until there is an actual official release of it, because, I don't know, just one thing that we're trying to... To do with the show is do movies that are still relatively accessible. And I don't want to do something like The Devils and then basically tell everybody, cool, well, the only way you're going to see this is either like an out of print DVD or go to some more questionable methods to procure it, right? So, yeah, because
0: we kind of got a little close to bending that rule with The Sentinel or something, which isn't necessarily, I guess, readily available.
1: Well, it goes back and forth because stuff like Mothman Prophecies, for instance, when we did it the week before it was on streaming and then as soon as we put the episode out it like disappeared from everywhere you know so it i don't know that's that's the one downside to streaming that we're starting to see just doing this show is things come and go quickly night of the creeps is another perfect example where it was on shutter and it was on tubi and it was on amazon and it was on all these different streaming resources until we decided that that's what we were going to do and then we had a hard time finding it so right Right. But either way, um, something that is like that explicitly unavailable—not just from the standpoint of can't get your hands on it, but also from the standpoint of there are multiple cuts of the movie, and it's hard to find like the right version that's complete and not chopped to shit. You know, we'll we'll have to work around a lot of that. So that's the majority of my stuff for this week. Um, so what have you gotten into as well?
0: So for my own personal consumption, I guess of horror, I'm still you know forever always reading through stacks of comics. One of the fun things going once again back to the Archie horror is that they just started a new mini series called Jughead the Hunger versus Vampironica and there were two previous series Jughead the Hunger where it was Jughead becoming a werewolf and Vampironica which was Veronica turning into a vampire and this is the sequel to both those series in which somehow they cross over into each other's universe because in Vampironica's universe there's only vampires they killed off all the werewolves and some great Great War, and then vice versa. <laughs> yeah, and then vice versa. Jughead the Hunger, all the werewolves killed off all the vampires. So they just crossed over in the first issue, I and it was a lot of fun. The first issue mostly focused on Veronica's side of things and ended on a cliffhanger, but it was it, it was a lot of fun, and I enjoyed those other series. Honestly, all of the Archie horror stuff has been a lot of fun to read. Um, Blossom's 666 is like on its fourth or fifth issue, and that, that's been a lot of fun to read. Our buddy Cullen Bunn, I believe is on that book who that guy once again is just the horror writer for comics it's it's pretty amazing but other than that um as you know mansfield that i'm kind of shacking up right now with our buddy nawaki from college and i've been watching him on and off play a game called the binding of isaac yeah yeah and the binding of isaac he's actually playing the remake of it the binding of isaac rebirth on his switch for those of you who don't know the binding of isaac it came out back in 2011 originally and I mean it straight up used Adobe Flash as its engine when it was released on Steam the guy who made it Edmund McMillan who also made Super Meat Boy he didn't expect it to be that much of a success he thought it was just going to be like it was kind of one of his own personal projects because it has to do with his own upbringing and everything else but it became super huge and then later was ported to all the current systems with the Rebirth the whole idea behind The Binding of Isaac, it's a very uncomfortable game. Very interesting, very creative, and very uncomfortable. It all has to deal like with his own coming to terms with his past of being Catholic, the various conflicts of being between his Catholicism and born again Christian family. And the whole story starts off with this kid, Isaac, who is kind of inspired by the same biblical story with the same name of Isaac. But Isaac and his mother live together and his mother is super Christian and one and she likes to watch like a bunch of Christian broadcasts on TV. And one day she just hears this voice from above basically telling her that her son has committed sin and she needs to kill him to basically save him and prove her own faith and so she like goes after him and he runs into his room is hiding from her and he escapes into their basement which this is where the, the game kind of becomes like very heavily interpretation of did he actually escape or is he just hiding in the closet or in the trunk waiting to be killed and these are kind of his own delusions as he's waiting for his mother to come and kill him. He escapes into the dungeon and the dungeon just so happens to be populated with all kinds of horrific monsters that are heavily based off of all kinds of concepts of specifically Catholicism but Christianity in general and it's a basically a top-down roguelite so you make various runs and all the dungeons are procedurally generated yeah so each run is different and you unlock more characters by killing certain bosses or doing a certain accomplishments and you're basically trying to go as far as you can to unlock like one of the many endings and there are a lot of endings in this game and a lot of them are pretty fucked up but it's fascinating because some of the characters you unlock they're all based off of biblical figures like you start off with Isaac as the playable character but as you unlock uh, more characters like you can unlock Cain you can unlock Judas you can unlock Eve and the whole idea is that it's kind of top down like Zelda you start off with hearts and you're going through these rooms almost like a Zelda a classic Zelda dungeon from like Super Nintendo and your only weapon is to shoot out tears out of your eyes and the tears are the things that hurt the monsters that are trying to kill you and, yeah. and a lot of these bosses are also based off of like you know Satan and Lord of the Flies like all the demonology stuff and the artwork is very much childish, but childish in that real fucked up, super horrific way, which just makes the whole thing even more unsettling. And it's I mean, I could see how this game could definitely get under a lot of people's skin and be scary to some. It's not a jump scare type game. I don't it's hard to even say it's like completely a horror game, even though I think it is, but it is very just terrifying. A lot of the ideas that are brought up. I mean, shit, you're fighting like some of the enemies, I think you're like fetuses and things things like that like it's all real fucked up have you ever have you ever checked this game out
1: i have not played it but i've seen it played before i mean it's it's honestly it's one of those that's like in our playstation library because it was free with ps plus like forever ago i just never have actually played it but yeah i know plenty of people that have played it i know the general gist of the game i've seen it played before so
0: yeah i think there's like 18 endings or maybe even more than that So it gives you incentive to continue to do runs. And the game seems legitimately challenging. Nowaki has owned it for a while now and he's only gotten two endings. Um, He's unlocked quite a bit of the characters, but not all of them still. And he's been playing it on hard and it is fucking hard. I saw him get about five or six floors down in the dungeon before getting killed. And that was like the best run I've seen him do so far. But he did say that like on normal, it's a bit easier, but it seems like a very challenging game like a lot of these roguelites are. So if this sounds kind of up your alley, even if it doesn't sound like up your alley, just Google the binding of Isaac and look at the Google images. Maybe watch some videos just to see what the art style is like because it is fascinating. It is dark. It is childish. It is just fucking creepy to look at but in that weird cutesy way which makes it all the more worse and yeah it's heavy again it's heavy on the biblical themes so that's mostly been the horror I've been kind of consuming more on a sort of horror light aspect I've actually decided to download the magic the gathering arena which is basically like online magic the gathering you can play online it's totally free you can pay money to like get unlock more stuff but they give you enough to where you can just play decks. You unlock like five starter decks off the through the tutorial and all that. But one of the decks I've been playing with is a, this uh black deck that is all about like zombies and vampires. And I don't think we've either one of us has ever brought up Magic the Gathering. But I do like a lot of the card artwork. That's kind of why I've always been enticed to like. I've gone through periods where I've been more invested in Magic than I than before. I've gotten out of it and come back to it. And honestly, even more so than like the play style of the game which I do think is fun I honestly keep coming back for the artwork because the artwork is just fantastic it's super gothic it takes like traditional horror but also does all sorts of spins on it so just another thing that I I felt like bringing up because I I do like the way that deck works it's all about sending shit to your graveyard but then resurrecting it through like necromancy and all that kind of stuff so I just felt like bringing that up too yeah anything else this week um, so one thing I did kind of want to ask you, because this uh, will kind of go into the episode, or the film we're doing later on in this episode, but both you and I, and you especially, like going to live shows for music. Have you ever been in, like, either uncomfortable or straight-up scary scenarios surrounding a concert?
1: Um, so I guess before I answer that question, I don't think we've mentioned yet, the movie that we're going to talk about this week is Green Room.
0: Well, it's in the title, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, by director, uh, Jeremy Selnier. Solnier. Saulnier, I'm not sure I've heard it pronounced both ways, regardless. Um, which specifically is about shit going bad at a concert venue. So I, for years, have been to a ton of concerts in anywhere, everywhere you can think of. You have been to a lot of shows with me. Yep, I have really not necessarily been actively in a situation in which I felt like I was in danger. There are times that I look back on maybe now where I made some poor decisions at a concert or like in the process of going, but just times like blasting a couple of hours away to a bigger city to go see a concert by myself without really telling anybody where I was going beforehand because I was still college post-college and had no like immediate dependence or anything that I like had to tell so if something had happened along the way yeah where's Mansfield oh who knows and then days later find out like oh he died in a car wreck hours away just situations like that where I could have been smarter but that said you know one thing that I think for both of us is kind of Interesting and slightly scary on just like a do you want this to cause anxiety, how much do you want to focus on it kind of level. I remember feeling really weird a few years ago when we found out that that Eagles of Death metal concert in Paris yeah. had like legitimately been attacked by terrorists.
0: I think their guy who sold their merch even got killed. Yeah. Something crazy, like someone really close to them.
1: Yeah, and that, that was kind of a weird experience experience. experience because you and i have seen them multiple times you know we have like spoken with the guys in that band and met them you know so then it's it's like weird for a band that like specifically you and i have seen multiple times that all of a sudden they're like now on the world stage in this very weird and like surreal tragic and violent way you know and th- things have gotten different with them over the years i mean jesse hughes is now kind of a nutbag but which
0: it's interesting i don't know if i don't know if this was something that was building because i feel like a lot of the stuff that i've kind of found myself being like wait what about him has all been in response or after this big experience of shooting it seems like a lot of the opinions and things he's said
1: since then that's from almost yeah. like
0: yeah are almost like him unpacking this shit still yeah
1: so it's just one of those, like, we don't, you don't think about it, but at the end of the day, like, we saw them multiple times over the years, and it was just, like, a matter of fate that that show happens to be the one where this went down, or a matter of faith that they happened to be the band that was there that night. Like, however you want to shake it, you know, whether it was, you know, who was there, when when it was happening, like, it all kind of came together at that specific time and place, And that could have been any of the concerts that we were at. And it's the same thing with the shooting that was at the uh, Las Vegas Festival recently. And any of these other situations where like public gatherings have been targeted by, you know, individuals who have issues or any other number of just generally hateful agendas. It's just kind of one of those weird things to think about as far as time and place goes that that could happen, and how much anxiety and stress do you, like, really want to put on that at all times? Because eventually, if you let that fear consume you, you're just never going to leave your house. And at other times, you, you know, maybe need to take a step back and realize that what you're doing is not the most safe thing in the world. You know, I think that if you're asking me, like, to circle back around to the original question that you asked, you know, I think the situation where I was maybe in the most questionable circumstance was when I was in undergrad, maybe, like, right after we graduated high school. I kind of sort of hitchhiked my way to Voodoo Fest and back. I didn't know about that. I, I haven't heard this. I, said, I say kind of hitchhiked because it was like... Friend of a friend of a friend is going and they're going to like pick me up at the dorms and I'm going to go with them and crash it like friend of a friend of a friend's brother's. House like an hour away from the place. I don't know any of these people, you know? And it was just kind of a, like, sketch situation the whole way down and the whole way back just for, like, a day to see, like, these specific bands that I wanted to go see at Voodoo at the time. And it was just kind of one of those, like, last-minute things where I thought I was going and then all the plans went sideways that we had. And then, like, I found out through the grapevine like I still had some way to get down there. So, nothing... I could go into, like, more details, but, like, nothing about that situation was smart in hindsight, (laughs) and lots of things could have gone wrong in an instant, but, you know, luckily everything worked out, and I look back at it older, wiser now, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I really was dumb for putting myself in that situation. So, yeah, I mean, this, this movie specifically deals with one of those specific instances where things do go bad. And I think that's why, you know, you and I were talking about this before, but this is a perfect example of an episode where the movie is by far more affecting like to me than it is to you because this doesn't necessarily like hit on your fears and anxieties in the same way that it does me, you know, but this is definitely like one that I, I had an intense time with when I first saw it.
0: Yeah. And we'll bring that back up once we start actually analyzing the movie.
1: So what's, what's your example of this?
0: Uh, I, there's a couple that come to mind kind of more along the lines of either going to a show by yourself or going with maybe just one other friend maybe that friend you're with is not the best influence and they might be a little sketchy we've all had our sketchy friends in high school and stuff but I used to go to a venue out in Metairie uh, Metairie Louisiana I have no idea if it's still open I even forget the name of it but it was a smaller punk venue and a lot of punk and ska bands like even ones that are sort of well known uh like I I think even like Big D and the kids table played there one time, but they would go and play there. And it's like kind of one of those venues where like stage is literally like one step up foot. Like like it's not even really yeah. a stage. It's just kind of like you could easily like just punch the singer if you wanted to because you're just right up there. It's like just one giant room. And a lot of sketchy shit went down there all the time. Drug dealing was crazy because it was like an quote-unquote all-ages venue. Yeah. But you had a lot of people who were probably too old to be in there, and they acted really sketchy. You had like teenage drug dealers just doing it right out in the open like no no regard i've seen people like have guns tucked in their like kids have gun like people my age when i was like 17 18 have guns tucked in their jeans and they were purposely like keeping it out enough to let everyone know I have a gun and like at the time I'm just like man this is badass we're being rebels I'm being a rebel I'm seeing this really shitty punk band or ska band that I think is going to be the next big thing because I'm a little shithead teenager and then I never hear from them ever again but in retrospect yeah another moment where I was just like that was probably a bad idea and I don't I don't know if anything ever went down at that venue at least anything that was noteworthy I'm sure there were fights that happened off the, all the time but I don't think there was ever like someone pulled a gun on someone else but it was definitely one of those things where it was the perfect recipe for that to go down yeah with all these people dealing drugs people having guns and knives on them at all the times the mosh pits being very very aggressive people like throwing fists on purpose aggressive and it was just the perfect recipe for that on top of that another show that kind of comes to or two other shows that come to my mind one you went to with me we saw Primus down in New Orleans I forget the name of the venue but it was back in like 2013 and even back then you and I we were all about like let's get there early let's get to the front immediately we have to be in the front to see the band and we did that but that crowd that Primus. Crowd for whatever reason was super aggressive. We saw like that kid who was standing next to us being choked out by like two skinheads. Um, one yeah, of them, I think
1: that was a really weird crowd. For sure.
0: Yeah, and, like, one of them was, like, so drunk that, like, he started leaning on uh, our buddy Sean, who went with us, and Sean kind of, like, pushed him off him, and then he threatened Sean, but he was so drunk he could barely stand, so Sean was like, yeah, okay, whatever, man.
1: And, yeah, that was, like, the weirdest, like... I don't know if it was the venue, or just the time, or... I get that Primus did the South Park theme song, but, like, I don't know, that was just, like, a really weird crowd, all said and done. It was,
0: like, the worst parts of Redneck. Yeah. Like, really... It really was, and it's weird because I've seen Primus like two or three times since then, and all the other crowds have been totally fine. Yeah. Super respectful, barely a mosh pit. If there is a mosh pit, everyone's safe and cool about it. I don't know what it was with that fucking Primus show.
1: Yeah, there's something about like, I don't know, like certain bands, there's like a weirdness to the crowd that forms around them sometimes. But I know like I've been to plenty of heavy sludge and stoner metal kind of shows, and those are like the most delightful group of like long-haired 30-year-olds who are all hanging out after their day jobs just enjoying a concert you
0: know yeah again if there ever is a mosh pit it's very rare and it's super low-key otherwise everyone's like every time we've gone to like one of those like stoner metal sludge metal concerts they're all just kind of standing around nodding their heads to the music and we're all just kind of shutting the fuck up and listening to it yeah however my second story is a contradiction of that what's the name of that venue in new orleans it's super small and it's kind of like. in a rundown area. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I know you've gone and seen a couple shows there too. Siberia? Siberia, that's okay. it. So one time, again, Sean and I, and I think a few others, we went and saw Red Fang in Siberia. And it was a super intimate show because uh, Siberia is kind of also one of those venues where stage is barely
1: a foot off the ground. Yeah, I was, I was with you all for this one, I think.
0: Yeah, and again, granted, th- this crowd was nowhere near as aggressive as that Primus crowd, but there were it took us by surprise because we had been to a lot of concerts again stoner metal concerts just like red fang where crowds totally fine this crowd was a little bit more aggressive but there was one kid in specific who rushed the sa- stage twice because the first time he ran up there and grabbed the microphone from the singer and started singing and the, the singer just kind of stood back um and continued playing guitar and just kind of shook his head the second time the kid tried to do this the singer straight up fucking checked him off the stage the dude crashes into even some of their equipment and we were kind of up in front so we kind of drag this kid off the stage and push him all the way to the back. And thankfully, it never happened again since then. But you could tell that the people in Red Fang were pretty frustrated for the rest of that show.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's... It's scary. Like that's a scary situation if you're on the stage for that to happen because I mean, fuck, like, I'm not a Pantera head, but I mean that's how Dimebag died. Yeah. You know, it was just insane shit like that that just happens all of a sudden.
0: And this was like a little scrawny white kid, but that doesn't mean he something dangerous could happen yeah. with him doing that. It
1: doesn't mean that he doesn't have like a knife or he doesn't have like a gun in his hand and like is looking for some fucking infamy like a fuckhead, you know?
0: Yeah, he was super like he ruined the concert in a lot of ways for me specifically. I felt angry for Red Fang when it happened and I remember after the show we went outside and we talked with the singer for a little bit and we said hey look man we're really thankful you came to New Orleans especially to a low-key place like this we're sorry this happened we would love to have you back and he's just like yeah thanks guys like it sucks but we will be back and we're like cool yeah
1: so let's take a moment to uh pause before we actually start talking about the movie proper um we are gonna do something a little bit different this week for for the first time. We have found a new service called Podcoin that we want to kind of run through real quick.
0: Yeah, and I wanna give a shout out specifically. There have been a couple podcasts on Twitter I've reached out to or reach out to us, and Podcoin has come up a few times and I was very skeptical of it. I actually winded up talking specifically with Feminists Without Mystique podcast at FWM Podcast on Twitter. And they uh took the time to like answer a couple of my questions and gave me a a great response and they were the ones who kind of pushed me to check this service out so yeah this is going to be kind of a, one of our first
1: reads i guess on the podcast you know i mean we all appreciate that y'all listen to our podcast at the end of the day the whole idea behind podcoin is that you know you can actually get paid for just listening to podcasts it's just kind of one of those low-key crypto things and it's just a way to kind of get exposure to different shows yeah and it's kind of a good community the way that it's set up so i mean it sounds kind of but it's very straightforward. You know, download the app in and of itself. We have a code specifically that you can use. The code is simply just DARE. D-A-R-E. Um, if you use our code, you can basically turn your listening into gift cards for places like Amazon or Starbucks, or the cool thing is you can even donate that Podcoin money to charity directly, which is something that I am appreciative of.
0: Yeah, that when I saw that they did that, that was really cool, and I think I kind of want to do that uh, once I build up enough coins myself. And if you do use that DARE code, you get 300 pod coins like, right off the bat just for using DARE um, when you sign up it's totally free though uh everything's free i haven't there's not a podcast i haven't found on there that i've been able to get like i've kind of transferred almost all my podcasts off apple Podcasts to that just so i can get coins for listening because I, I think it's like for every 10 minutes you get so many uh so many coins and in just one week of listening to my podcast pretty much my regular schedule maybe even less than my regular schedule i've already built up like several hundred coins and you can start cashing in on some of these things right around the 2000 mark so it's not far off at all for me at least
1: yeah and I do like the idea of tying this back to like a charity option so I think Derek and I we're going to talk about a little bit deeper but I think we might try to find like one specific charity that we ask those of you that want to do that option to donate to specifically so um, we'll talk about that over the next little bit and get back to y'all with an answer on that one for sure but definitely check it out Um, again use our code dare d-a-r-e and you'll get a bonus 300 coins just for doing the sign up yeah once again, it's totally free. Anyway,
0: so this week, like you had mentioned earlier, Mansfield, we are digging into Green Room. All right.
1: I can get you guys a solid gig. Matinee tomorrow. Doors a one. You guys are on a three.
0: Gentlemen. You're trash. <laughs> Things have gone south. It won't end well. You can't keep us here, man. You gotta let us go. We're not keeping you. You're just staying. Shoot who's left.
1: Let blade
0: Get ready to run.
1: Here we go. <laughs> Careful now.
0: over
1: ah! Yep. And that is from technically 2016 but anywhere that you look we'll say 2015 it hit the festival circuit in 2015 and didn't get like a theatrical release until then or until the following year this was directed by Jeremy Saulnier who did Murder Party which I'm a big fan of that movie is hilarious he also did Blue Ruin which is fantastic and that was the first movie that like introduced me to him as a director he also did recently Hold the Dark for Netflix and he was kind of one of the main producers and show runners for this last season of true detective which y'all have heard me talk about and he directed the first two episodes of it so he's definitely one of those guys that i will watch anything he puts out i just i like his style i like his voice this movie specifically is his third movie in what he jokingly refers to as his inept protagonist trilogy um, of just people not knowing what they're doing in a bad situation, trying to make the best of it.
0: Inept protagonist. I didn't know that. That is such a perfect way to describe a lot of the characters in this movie.
1: Oh yeah. Well, so murder party is about this just kind of rando nerdy guy who finds a flyer to a murder party on Halloween and he goes and turns out, no, it's like this group of shitty art students that are, legitimately like gonna murder somebody to like influence their art and it's just this idiot trying to get out of the situation off topic
0: for one second I love that trope of I'm a serial killer but it's all about the artwork or I'm gonna do mass murder but it's all about the artwork Uh, so many Batman and Daredevil villains I feel like do that and every time it pops up in comics I, I just love it for some reason it's just one of those villain tropes that I just always find funny and fascinating
1: I mean even then like anybody who's been to Like any kind of college where they had an art program, you knew students that were like the people in Murder Party that you just want to like slap every time you're around them. Blue Ruin as well is kind of the same idea. It's a guy who is trying to get revenge um, on the person who murdered his father years prior and just the way that he's going about it. Every move that he makes is bad and he constantly makes mistakes and just fucks up the entire way because he has no idea what he's doing. It's not just as easy as it is in movies right? So this is kind of the same way like when you're in a situation like the characters in Green Room find themselves in you know, what do you do to get out? In a lot of cases you don't know and you just end up like stuck. That's kind of the whole idea behind this movie. He had done a short film for a festival kind of challenge a few years prior that was set in a green room and that bug just kind of stuck in his head and he wanted to do a full-length feature thriller that was set in a green room specifically so this is kind of his stab at it
0: i read that the initial idea or at least the short film for that festival was more of a supernatural horror movie yeah and this is a lot more realistic than that but he just wanted something to do with a green room literally a
1: green room in a movie and he He chose to make this movie when he did because, you know, he kind of figured, all right, nobody's going to let me make this movie the way I want to with the level of violence that I want, with the themes that I want, and, like, essentially let me get away with it, you know, and, like, give me a budget to work with if I don't, like, take the opportunity to do it now, write off some success from Blue Ruin, Um, you know. So he just went ahead and, like, took the leap to go ahead and do this at that point in his career when he felt like he still could. Otherwise, the uh, general idea of the movie is a band takes a gig at a very sketchy skinhead venue and they see something that they should not have seen and then things go bad from there yeah
0: so b- before we dig into the spoilers real quick, uh, for people who are more susceptible to horror like I am, just a couple things right up front. This movie deals with a lot of very uncomfortable themes. Not only is it just like direct violence that is sometimes a little hard to watch, it also deals with feelings of being trapped in a situation where it seems like there's no escape. It also deals with neo-Nazis uh, skinheads. And the timing that of this movie also sort of makes it even scarier than it might have been when it was first released?
1: I think it, it the movie is very prescient considering when it came out to where we are right now. And one thing that I will say, like, let's just go ahead and talk about it real quick. So one thing that, like, I had kind of heard about before even seeing this movie was the fact that up in the Pacific Northwest, there has been, like, a massive rise in neo-Nazi culture and skinhead culture and white nationalist culture.
0: I was going to ask you about that because I had no idea about that until I watched this movie. I always assumed that area of the country was just like, yeah, none of that shit. happens there. Yeah,
1: so, you know, I am probably, like, on a few lists now, but (laughs) I did a little bit of research on this yesterday, just to get a little bit more of, like, a specific perspective on, like, the history of what is happening up there. My
0: name is right there with you, buddy, because I did the same exact thing.
1: So, in general, this is one of those things that, like, you and I... Growing up in the South, we know racism is a thing. It's always been a thing. It's always been a part of this country, unfortunately. It's always been a part of, like, world culture. It's not good. It's just one of those, like, shitty things where we can't see past basic differences to, like, work together and love each other and try to go forward, right? One common misconception all the time that I've heard my entire life from people who are not, like, from the South is, oh, well, that shit's only down in the South. Right? wrong no sir it has always been everywhere in the country regardless of like what our mindsets are with like the civil war of the north and the south being a very delineated you know north and south of mason dixon kind of bullshit it's always been everywhere it's always been everywhere i think some of the difference is a down here in the south unfortunately It's still very prominent and it's still very publicly like open.
0: Yeah, it's very open because I was going to say a lot of the characters in this movie, I've straight up been around like again in shows other public places when I was a teenager young adult. Just if you grew up in the South, you're going to be just around these people.
1: And whether you realize it or not necessarily, but I mean, just the amount of rebel flag stickers you still see on trucks and hanging from people's houses and stuff like that. And a lot of kind of the weird, I guess just the weird way that people have embraced that as a symbol without really fully acknowledging or like just unwilling to acknowledge because you know, they know what it's about but then they're just refusing to actually say it out loud. You know, it's it's still very prevalent but I think the difference is people down here have to temper themselves a little bit more about how they express it simply because there is still a large African American population across the South. It's been further diversifying over the years with a lot of Hispanic uh, immigration coming in to, like, the entirety of the South. Um, There's always been a large Asian community across the Gulf South, specifically post-Vietnam. And, I mean, there's just been immigrants to the entire country in general since always, you know? So the South is a lot more diverse in certain ways, especially in larger city areas. But I think the difference is because that culture of racism is so ingrained in in southern history, it's kind of a given, unfortunately. And people are basically, like, able to express that hatred in ways that don't seem as icky to the outside, where they're kind of already expecting that behavior. But of course, when you hear about stuff like that in, oh, let's say, you know, the Pacific Northwest, it seems out of place. But looking at some history yesterday, you know, you find out a place like Eugene, for instance, which we think of Eugene, Oregon today as like super hippy, dippy, liberal. You know, Eugene was one of the centers of really heavy active chapters of KKK in the 1920s not like 1700s not like this it wasn't like distant fucking history this was 1920s like not even 100 years ago you know the KKK was massively active in that area and there were several prominent people in the like history of that area who were involved with all kinds of racist groups and have had their names like scrubbed off of buildings and stuff since then but you know I think a lot of the difference is you look at a place like Oregon where it is pretty Predominantly white. And there's just a lot more hiding that can happen, I guess. And You have the people who are very public about it, but then you have, like, a lot of the everyday people who, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know. Like, all the skinheads in this movie, when they're wearing, like, all their paraphernalia at this venue, yeah, okay, they obviously, like, stand out as a skinhead, but if they were just wearing regular clothes, you wouldn't necessarily know. Heather and I were kind of talking about it last night, but, I mean, it's just kind of one of those weird things that has been kind of building up because people don't quite know how to, like, combat it and deal with it without it just leading to more violence. And people want to find, like, peaceful ways to push these groups out of their communities, but it's difficult without it getting to the point where there's conflict. And it's something that I think the nation will continue to struggle with, because guess what? Uh, We've seen a huge uptick in hate crimes and all this terrible stuff. Coincidentally, in the last couple of years hmm so this movie is kind of pulling from some of that real life craziness and it's putting these kids that otherwise like would not have ended up in the situation like in the situation and kind of where it goes from there
0: yeah so that's very much kind of the horror deals with and none of it is supernatural it is all it's more realistic even than texas chainsaw because texas chainsaw has that still has that over the top factor to it of like a guy wearing a leather mask made of skin basically there's nothing quite as over the top crazy as that even in this movie the
1: violence in this movie is ugly yeah like that's the best way that i can describe it it's it's very raw and ugly and unforgiving and matter of fact and it's not over glorified or over saturated the violence in this movie is very incredibly intense but it's very short it's just short and ugly and matter of fact in the way that it all unfolds
0: yeah it's not even very gory I mean, it is gory, but not not as crazy as a lot of the other movies that we've done. It's not over the top. It's probably gonna be more of a horror movie for Mansfield than myself. For me, though, even though this isn't really the type of fears that get under my skin quite as much as like supernatural horror, which is ridiculous to say now because it's so stupid that this is much more of a, a realistic thing than supernatural horror. But even then, for someone like me who gets scared of ghosts, this movie was edge of my seat intensity the entire time throughout there's not even really too many jump scares Uh, there's a couple parts that are like quick cuts or something quick happening that might jump some people otherwise it's just a very uncomfortable movie it's a good movie but it is super intense if any of this sounds like stuff that you kind of want to avoid or you're not ready for i totally get it i totally understand maybe go seek out a different movie otherwise i think this is a movie that any horror fan or any fan of thriller movies and general should probably watch it's pretty good
1: so all that said it stars Anton Yelchin and this unfortunately was the last movie that was released theatrically before he unfortunately died
0: yeah because I think I think the two other projects that came out after this one of them was a documentary the other was a short film and then everything else was post yeah uh,
1: he had several other things that were all in the works before he ended up passing but yeah Anton Yelchin uh, most people would Know him from Alpha Dog and the new Star Trek movies as uh, Chekov. He was also in the Fright Night remake and just a lot of smaller things, a lot of indie things. Charlie Bartlett and Odd Thomas. He was in Thoroughbreds recently as well, which that might be something we end up talking about.
0: His death was—it's tragic, but it's also very much a freak accident too.
1: Yeah, that that whole situation. I was Heather and I were talking about it last night because she didn't realize what had happened to him. That's just one of those like totally avoidable like Jesus Christ had just. Uh, kind of situations yeah he is in a punk band called the ain't right's and uh, his other band members are Sam, who is played by Alia Shawcat from Arrested Development. She plays uh, Maybe. She was also in the Runaways movie as well, which I bring that up specifically because her and Anton Yelchin both legitimately play the instruments that they're playing in the movie. So that's actually them playing. The other two guys, Reese, played by Joe Cole, and uh, Tiger, played by Callum Turner, both of those guys had to learn what they were doing. Um, so Reese just learn like some basic drum stuff for this movie and uh tiger is essentially just the singer reese played by joe cole was in peaky blinders and skins and uh the black mirror episode hang the dj callum turner was in a lot of brit tv stuff um he was in the recent war and peace adaptation that had lily james and paul dano in it um and then he was also in the last harry potter movie the uh, crimes of Grindelwald*. so the four of them make up this punk band and Pat is kind of kind of quiet, introspective, one of the bunch. Reese is definitely the hothead. Like, he's always the one that's, like, kind of first to start wanting to fight. I mean, he's definitely the more testy of the group. Tiger is, you know, kind of easygoing, tall, lanky, bright green hair. Sam is kind of the, like, heart of the group who kind of keeps everybody focused and together. So, it's the four of them, and they are touring the Pacific Northwest. And the movie opens up with them in the van all waking up the next morning and reese who was driving crashed the van into a cornfield because he fell asleep so
0: i like the shot too because the shot's kind of from overhead and you see like the path that the car made in the cornfield yeah and just their car sitting there with like the light still on and everything else this totally is a punk band too like these four together this is totally a punk band that i've seen in that really sketch venue back in the day like yeah. the actors that portray these characters did a great job of capturing that whole spirit of we have no direction in life we just want to make music we're literally living out of a van almost and we're going by like the 300 bucks that we make from one night at a venue it's interesting too because they all wake up and they all get kind of pissed Uh, not pissed but they're all annoyed it's like 7 in the morning Reese fucking fell asleep at the wheel and Pat and Sam straight up are like how far away is, is anything there's a skating rink 10 miles away and and they're like, "All right, y'all stay here. We're gonna go over to the skating rink." And you think that it's to find help, and you you quickly learn that they're no, they're actually siphoning gas from parked cars, and that's exactly what they do.
1: Yeah, one thing to note when they open the van doors, I did happen. I didn't like stop to read all the different stickers, but I did happen to see like they have a Fugazi sticker. Yeah, I saw that and too. And <laughs> A uh, sticker with Nothing's logo on it as well too. So anyway, yeah, they they siphon gas from a car nearby to kind of get them up and going. But they get to the next big city. It's not defined where the city is necessarily. It might be Portland. But they crash the apartment of this other kind of mohawked punker guy named Tad. And he's the one that, like, booked their next gig. And he's the host of, like, a radio show. So the whole deal was that he was going to interview them for the radio show the next day. He specifically asks them what their desert island bands are. And they all kind of hem and haw on it a little bit. Um, You know, Tiger basically just gives the default answer of Misfits. And I think reset says, you know, Black Sabbath, but the question is can I keep Dio and Ozzy? They all kind of go back and forth and Pat can't quite give an answer, so they just kind of move on.
0: I I really did like this. This question kind of It's a running thing. Yeah. over the rest of the movie. It's a running thing in the movie and I really enjoyed it cuz I mean, who hasn't had this conversation? Yeah. And I think one of the guy who picked the Misfits he at first, he's like the Misfits. No wait, the Damned. Yeah. No wait, the Misfits. Nah, actually I think the Damned. And then like someone else starts answering and he goes, "Fuck it, the misfits fits in the yeah. background, but yeah, and Tad, you can tell he seems genuine. He just, he's trying to do his own thing with this radio show, but he also wants to try and get them this local gig. Well, they finally ask him like, "Hey, bro, what's the pay on this gig? Where are we doing it?" And it's midday at a fucking Mexican restaurant, like a local Mexican restaurant.
1: Well, he had like a bigger gig set up, yeah, and the whole thing fell apart. And he was like, "Well, I can make it up to you. I have something that you can do during the day." And then, yeah, it's just like middle of the afternoon. Mexican restaurant so that whole thing kind of falls apart and the band kind of gets testy with him afterward because they made 20 bucks he kind of caves and says all right all right look I can get you a gig at the last minute um my cousin Daniel works at this venue that's outside of Portland so I can get you a gig there at the last minute the place is kind of sketch but like whatever it's nothing you haven't dealt with before They go to the venue that night, and they kind of immediately start to catch the sketchy vibe of the place as they arrive, because it's out in the middle of the woods. They were kind of warned ahead of time, like, there's going to be, like, some skinhead element there, which that's prominent in a lot of punk venues, unfortunately. But, you know, they were kind of warned ahead of time. They're like, whatever, we've dealt with that before. So when they get there, it's a lot more intense than just that.
0: Yeah, well, and I want to say, too, the way this building is, like, the way it looks on the outside and the dirt lot out front and everything. This looks like one of those venues that was even in Hattiesburg that's kind of a little more out of the way, not necessarily in the middle of nowhere, but kind of secluded. And
1: It just looks like a cinder block, yeah.
0: Yeah, and not that there's any venues in Hattiesburg that are like pro-Nazi, but just the look of it kind of reminded me of that. Yeah,
1: it just looks like a run-down cinder block kind of building with just one light-up sign on the outside. It's very nondescript and just kind of shabby.
0: Yeah, and if you if you go to a lot of shows like we have in the past, especially if you dig punk, you've probably seen a venue that looks like this.
1: So they arrive and they meet with cousin Dan, so Tad's cousin, played by Mark Weber. Mark Weber was in Animal Factory which was a movie directed by Steve Buscemi um, about prison. That movie is pretty solid. He was also in Scott Pilgrim versus the World.
0: Who was he in Scott Pilgrim again?
1: I forget. He was the, like, main band guy. Yeah, okay. He was also in Happy Christmas, which is kind of one of the mumblecore movies, but it's one of the few that I've seen that I actually like. Um, Heather kind of talked me into watching it a while back, and I enjoyed it. Anna Kendrick's in it, and Melanie Linsky, who I really like a lot. He's also, apparently, in a new pilot for an LA Confidential TV show. Wait, what? Yeah, and the pilot was supposed to be for CBS All Access and they filmed it and it's just it's not happening. Like, they're just not airing it. So, they may air it eventually, but it looks like they shot it and it just fell apart. He was going to be playing Bud Meeks, the character that Russell Crowe played in the movie. So...
0: Maybe for the better, because that movie is really fucking good and I wouldn't want a TV show based off it and a TV show
1: that's not good. You say that, this is the second stab at a TV show adaptation of LA Confidential, because there was one, oh I didn't know that. Yeah, there was one back in the 90s as well, too. And it's weird, like, looking at the cast of both of these shows as far as like the what if factor is concerned so anyway they meet Cousin Dan and they also meet the bar manager Gabe played by Mike Macon Blair and Macon Blair has been in all of Jeremy Saulney's movies like from Murder Party on up he's fantastic he's a very natural actor and he directed a movie called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore that also starred Melanie Linsky that I mentioned a second ago and Elijah Wood so I really like making Blair a lot and he's one of those people that I want to continue to see in more mainstream stuff
0: he was honestly uh, possibly my favorite character in this movie yeah
1: he's interesting for sure but yeah they get to this bar and there's like immediately lots of neo-nazi symbols and graffiti and paraphernalia everywhere so it's a lot more intense than what they were kind of led on to believe
0: one of the things i did think like was also effective to get a get the point across that this place is sketch as fuck is as they're walking in and like daniel and gabe are leading them in at first he's like who sent you was a tad and he's like being like daniel is being like kind of aggressive he even makes a comment like when they're getting out of their van like y'all look like you're already lit and he kind of seems annoyed by it and then he start listing off all these things for them to do and not to do. And it's very much just don't do this, do this. Kind of almost threatening in a little bit of a way. Like, yeah, don't go against these rules because you could get hurt. And so, yeah, <laughs> there's no build up to it. Like, they're like, you know, this place is sketchy as fuck right off the bat. And so does the band.
1: One of them even jokingly calls the bar a U-boat, which kind of cracked me up. Once they kind of get in, you know, they they load their stuff and they get into the green room. While they're in the green room, Pat gets the bright idea to kind of take the piss out of the crowd a little bit, and so we then cut to them going on stage, starting their set. And the song that they choose to play is your favorite band ever, the Dead Kennedys, and their classic Nazi punks, "Fuck Off."
0: So, one thing, immediately when they walked into this venue, I thought, man, wouldn't it be funny if a punk band came here and played Dead Kennedys, Nazi punks, fuck off? I did not read the synopsis or anything before I sat down to watch this movie. Caught me by surprise when this happened. I was pretty happy when it happened. I was just like, they read my fucking mind. I I do have to say, as far as punk bands go, Dead Kennedys are probably in my top 10 favorite bands of all time. I liked the scene a lot.
1: Yeah, and they play that song and the crowd immediately like starts kind of getting hostile toward them,
0: throwing shit at them. And
1: there's people like throwing shit at them and spitting and everything. And you know, they kind of say like, yeah, thanks. That was a cover. And then immediately go back into, like, just playing, like, their own heavy shit. And the the whole crowd, like, kind of starts coming around to that again. So this is kind of a moment where it slows down. And you see them, like, really genuinely enjoy, like, playing music. Doing what they can to, like, really perform. And it's in slow motion. And you see them, like, really putting in all the effort. And in this moment... Pat specifically sees these two girls in the crowd, and one of them like kind of casually hands something to the bar manager, Gabe just kind of slides it to him and then it goes back into them playing
0: I actually backed this scene up and watched it twice just to scope the crowd out because I think some of the people who come back later on in the movie as villains and things like that
1: yeah there is one specific guy who like looks at them glares at them and spits and he he comes back later
0: yeah and then I didn't catch the two girls in the crowd the first time I, I watched the scene but the second time I, I saw this
1: yeah it's very casual and you don't quite pick up that that's what's going on that pad is specifically seeing this but it plays back in later so after their performance they go back toward the you know green room area. The stage manager, Big Justin is like trying to herd the band and their gear out of the building like super quick.
0: Who's Big Justin played by again?
1: Big Justin is played by Eric Edelstein. He's been in like lots of TV stuff, tons of TV stuff.
0: Yeah, I recognize his face immediately.
1: So, I did too. I know I've seen him in lots of stuff cuz he's in lots of TV shows that I have seen for sure, but he was one of the detectives in Twin Peaks: of Return. Yeah, he was. So that's something that a Like, I have definitely immediately seen him in a good bit. So, he is trying his best to, like, herd them out of the building. Like, real quick. Like, here's your money, here's all your shit, let's get you out, blah, 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 right? Like, he's actively trying to get them out of the building. Sam realizes that she left her phone charging in the green room. So, in all this, like, rush back and forth, Pat basically says, like, I got it, I got it. He turns around, ducks back into the green room to go get her phone. And as soon as he turns around, it's kind of like, yeah, guys, I'm sorry. turns around, he finds a really horrific scene where the other band, uh, I think they were called Cow Crusher, Cow Kicker, or something like that. They are all kind of hanging out and there is a dead girl on the floor and it's one of the two girls that we saw in the middle of the crowd earlier. And immediately he's like, "Uh, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. And everything goes to hell.
0: Yeah, and isn't the, the knife sticking out out of her head still uh yeah and the girl amber she's kind of crying and she's kind of like cry whispering to him like please help me call the police yeah and then just everything goes to shit so before we kind of like deal with this i just wanted to unpack this a little bit i felt the scene it reminded me of my times back in that really sketchy venue of like how the smallest little domino could have fallen and caused the whole thing to collapse and like a shit storm to happen yeah talk about such a small little thing that happens to people on a daily basis, of like I forgot my phone it's still on the charger let me go back and get it and you go back and get it and oopsie daisy you wander onto a crime scene yeah
1: wrong place wrong time it's just like the ritual that we talked about you know several weeks back same kind of thing they walked into the liquor store and it just happened to be like right when it was getting robbed
0: but for some reason this felt even more likely than than that did even though you're probably gonna way more be in a liquor store than a venue like this out in the middle of woods outside of portland
1: so immediately everybody starts freaking out big justin is yelling trying to herd all the band like out of the hallway and back into the green room gabe the bar manager is there like trying to figure out what the fuck is going on so clearly like this situation happened and they were trying to get the other band out as quick as they possibly could And now it is what it is. So the bandmates are all confused until they're actually like in the green room and they see what's going on. And immediately Gabe and Big Justin, like, you know, start getting everybody's phones together and basically just hold them hostage in the green room. And that's it.
0: In the process, Pat desperately calls 911 and actually gets them on the phone and starts just screaming things as quickly as he can to them. And then, yeah, they grab the phone right out of his hand and like snap it or turn it off or hang up or something.
1: Yeah. Now that they're all kind of back in there, the emergency services number like calls back. And Gabe answers this time and just kind of says, uh, yeah, um, really calmly this time, like, oh, yeah, there's been a stabbing. You know, it's at this location. Please send somebody out. And he's kind of running back and forth between this office trailer that's behind the bar and the main bar itself, kind of going back and forth while Big Justin's holding everybody in the green room. He
0: has a gun out too at this yeah. point, right? Yeah,
1: well, yeah. Uh, Gabe, like, goes and gets a gun and gives it to him and comes back and is like, here, hold everybody here. Here. The other band, they're all there. They're still kind of in like really heavy aggressive mode hanging out but you know at one point Sam questions like whether the girl's like even really dead because she doesn't see any blood and Worm the main skinhead musician that like killed the girl he walks over calmly grabs the knife that's in her head and literally drags her body across the floor a few feet with the knife still embedded in her skull and it finally like comes loose and starts spilling blood over the carpet he just kind of says yeah there now there's blood do you believe that she's dead
0: doesn't her body like twitch a little too which is just even more unsettling it,
1: it might have i didn't necessarily notice it but yeah. the band knows that they're like in deep shit now and this other band like they clearly don't give a f- about what they did this was not like an accident this was done on purpose you know out of anger
0: uh something i wanted to ask you because i don't think this was ever explicitly stated but are they the house band for this venue
1: i don't get the impression that, that they were the house band but there's a line later where somebody says we need to find the new house band yeah so that it could be the case i don't think it's 100 percent clear so gabe again has been kind of going back and forth to this office trailer you finally like go in with him and you see the inside and it's a very like straightforward office environment Uh, it's very buttoned down there's like a guy i think his name's mark but he's like the accountant for this whole outfit and gabe just tells him like yo i need to like check out six hundred dollars and he's like well you already checked out this money to like pay this other band like what are you checking out six hundred dollars for he's like we have a situation i'm fucking dealing with it you know just give me six hundred dollars and we gotta find two like hardcore like he calls them like true believers to like cover for this situation so they basically like get these other two kind of up-and-coming skinhead kids that want to, like, earn their keep a little bit. He pays them to basically stab each other and wait for the police to get there. So they get some, like, shitty knife... And he kind of just gives like a few light stabs in the middle of the torso where it's not going to like hit anything crucial. And then just kind of makes them stand there and wait as the cops pull up and gives them the whole story of, oh, yeah, these two kids got in a fight and stabbed each other. Nothing big is going on besides that.
0: Clearly, they either planned for something like this or they've done it before in the past because he even makes a comment good, you didn't stab deep enough for this to count as like a certain felony. At the worst, you might get some time on the inside. If that's the case, he'll pay you more.
1: The knife is like below a certain length so it's not going to be a felony. Give us the money, we'll hang on to the money. If anything happens we'll take care of you. Like it's it's clearly this is stuff that they've done before. They know the legal side of things. They know exactly what they're going to get in trouble for. They know exactly how to get out of it. It shows the scary level of organization that this group has. That they know the ins and outs of the criminal justice system and law enforcement like so deeply. Because they're either involved in all that stuff on the back end or they've been in the situations before and know how to get out of them but the fact that they have this level of organization for when things like this happens shows that like this shit happens regularly regularly enough that they know how to deal with it so the band is still hanging out in the great room they're just they're stuck there with this other band they just pulled the body across the floor, and now the body's bleeding everywhere, which apparently that moment with the body being dragged across the floor by the knife in the head is something that Jeremy Saulnier saw in a prison documentary, and it really fucked him up, and he put that in the movie. Wow. Gabe comes back. He basically tells the band that was responsible for the stabbing to get the fuck out.
0: Well, on the way, Worm walks up to, I think it's Pat, and super calm, super creepy, just hey man what was that second to last song on your set? And Pat's just like, uh, toxic, whatever it was called. He just like stares at Pat for a sec. He's like, that song fucking slayed man. And then just walks away and it's just so fucking bone chilling. No, it's
1: even worse than that. Cause he was like, yeah, man, that song was really fucking heavy. I just want you to know that's the song that I did her to. Yeah, that's and right. And you just like, fuck. Yeah. Anyway, this other band
0: leaves. And they keep Amber in with the Ain't It Rights.
1: Yeah, and Amber, again, just to be clear, is the other girl. We you know, we mentioned that there were two girls earlier that Pat saw. She's the other girl. She's the friend of the girl that's dead now. Um, and I guess to back up, Amber is played by Imogene Poots, uh, which she was in 28 Weeks Later. She was also in the Fright Night remake with Anton Yelchin. She was in Terrence Malick's last movie, Night of Cups. She's also going to be in the upcoming Why the Last Man adaptation, so they're doing a TV show of that. But she is there with the band, yeah. And as soon as this other band leaves, they all kind of start vocally talking about yeah, what if we just like try to fight our way out? Fuck this big Justin guy. We can push our way out. We can do this. We can get out of there and Big Justin's like trying to tell them like, "Look, sit the fuck down. Shut up. I have a gun." None of y'all are going anywhere.
0: Y'all y'all will be okay if you just sit down and shut the fuck up. I will straight up shoot you in the face if you try and do this. Yeah. And in the meantime too, uh there are like hints of someone else on the way like Gabe says, yeah, he's on the way. He's he's aware I've called him. Yeah. And we're about to find out who they're talking about.
1: Yeah. So, like I mentioned a second ago, the police show up and the two young idiots that they, like, you know, are paying to do the fake stabbing to cover for the actual murder, they get put in cuffs and they're being hauled away. And as that's happening, the bar owner, who is, like, the main kind of leader figurehead of this whole skinhead group named Darcy, he shows up to, like, deal with the police You know, he shows up and kind of gives them the whole, like, oh, yeah, I'm the owner and blah, 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 and this happened, and we're going to figure out what's going on here. Yes, we'll work with you and this was like the biggest piece of casting that was just like a what the fuck out of nowhere thing when i remember it happening (laughs) but darcy is played by none other than fucking patrick stewart professor x himself so yeah jean-luc picard star of like basically everything so this is like a very interesting turn for him
0: yeah so i wanted to ask you was he uh, he's had to have played other villainous roles right because he's been around forever.
1: I'm sure he has played villains before, but I cannot think of any, and this is by far the most insidious villain he's ever played. Yeah. The casting director must have been based out of the UK, or maybe they were using like a US and UK casting group, because Joe Cole that plays Reese, Callum Turner that plays Tiger, and Imogene Poots are all also UK. So, four of the main actors in the movie are all from the UK so there must have been like some casting over there
0: and they fucking nail that american punk accent yeah of like northeast american punk
1: yeah patrick stewart's accent kind of comes and goes a little bit but patrick stewart's as- accent is also like so definable to begin with like it's kind of hard to shake his voice acting wise he's fantastic but yeah i remember reading something about when he got the script he finished it and he was so like shook up by the script that he immediately just turned off all the lights and house locked the doors and went to fucking bed with his wife for the night and then like got up the next day and was like yeah like i'll do this role because that's the most terrifying thing i've ever read (laughs) so yeah Yeah. patrick stewart is the leader of this neo-nazi group anyway gabe and darcy they kind of discuss their options while they're searching the van that the band came in And they basically just agree, like, look, we got to eliminate the witnesses at this point. Like, we trust the band that committed the murder to not necessarily say anything, which even then, like, Patrick Stewart kind of says, well, you know, if they continue that dope that they like, you know, maybe that won't end up so well. And he kind of alludes to, like, maybe we'll just off them as well. But, you know, they agree that they need to get rid of the band. Like, there's just no way around it. And while they're searching the van, they find the gas can and the siphon hose, and they're like, okay, cool, that's how we do it. We just frame it up like they were trespassing on the main like house property that's further off in the woods, and they were trying to siphon gas, and you know what, we have a sign that says there are dogs, and we're within our rights, and you know what, we'll just stage the whole thing to look like it was a trespassing incident.
0: Yeah, and I know that, like you had mentioned, Gabe and Darcy agreed on this.
1: It's more, agree is... Darcy is more dictating it and Gabe is kind of like unwillingly kind of going along with it a little bit.
0: Yeah, because Gabe throughout this entire thing is just a guy in over his head knowing that he's made dumb decisions and he is part of a group that he might not necessarily... Wishes he never joined in the first place, but it's kind of too late, but he's in over his head. Yeah. And this just continues to be, like, the sort of character he plays.
1: So, once they kind of agree to, like, what to do, you know, they say, okay, let's call up a group of people get them here
0: they call them red lasers which is i actually looked this up as well and apparently it's people who have quote-unquote shed blood for the cause yeah so they're basically like these are some hardcore motherfuckers that will take care of whatever we need taken care of is is the whole idea here yeah
1: because the venue is still packed again this is like the middle of the evening there are bands playing there are still lots of people at this venue in this bar hanging out and they're trying to like isolate the situation that's happened backstage and not let anybody else in on it. So they agree like we gotta get rid of the band that saw the whole thing but we gotta get everybody else out as well. So they just call up a group of people that they specifically trust going forward that have already like been involved in violence previously. But
0: Darcy the thing that's even especially chilling is this is Darcy's group and yet he's treating all of them like they're all tools because totally. there's a part where like they get some of that quote unquote dope that is Probably poisoned or something else fucked up. And they give it to the band that's leaving on the way out. And they're like, here, you know, for your troubles. And then he says about the proven ones that are coming to like do the job. He basically says like, yeah, and if any of these meatheads get too crazy, well, we'll just give them that dope. But the way Darcy says it is super racist. And obviously like we're going to basically pin this on a different group of people that this dope is coming from rather than us.
1: And this just goes again to kind of the insidious nature of how so many of these groups operate. But he basically has another drug dealer who is black that he is feeding drugs to for distribution you know whether this other guy and this other group like realizes that they're neo-nazis or not it's all part of this larger thing for them to generate money to keep their organization going and again just how they're exploiting everybody around them yeah they
0: just have this stash of poisoned dope just to deal with people like this
1: yeah back in the green room the band finally clumsily overpowers Big Justin. They kind of like jump on him and beat him a little bit. They take the gun. Reese gets him in a chokehold on the ground with his arm bent backwards. They get a box cutter from him and they have the gun. So he's sitting there now. They're holding him hostage. They also search the dead girl and find a napkin with the word wolf written on it. Um, and they're kind of talking about what wolf means. And, you know, it's like flesh and wolf. And they're kind of confused by what that is. Um, But then all of a sudden the power goes out. And this ends up just kind of being a ruse by Darcy to clear out the venue. Power goes out. Power comes back on. He basically just goes into the main venue and says, all right, the main power's out. Sorry, everybody. The generators are on. But, like, we got to clear out for the night. So this is just kind of a way that they get everybody out of the building. And once everybody's out, they go to the green room and knock on the door, and try to start negotiating through the door with the band. So, Darcy is, like, asking them to surrender the pistol because it's unregistered, and that could lead to more trouble, like, when the police show up, blah, blah, blah. And he even, like, puts them in a hard place by insinuating that he could potentially put them in the situation where it looks like the band were the aggressors you know and he could spin it to the cops that like oh well they're in the green room with this unregistered gun and they have there's already a dead girl in there and then they have one of my guys hostage you know so he basically puts them between a rock and a hard place
0: another thing just another layer to Darcy that you just kind of catch in like little details as he's announcing to everyone to leave he says like oh and don't forget the workshop on some kind of insidious subject matter is on Thursday like be sure y'all remember that and show up for it and remember this is all about the cause and it's not about partying so yeah just other little small details i wanted to throw in there
1: so darcy kind of convinces them to hand over the gun pat agrees so they push the couch that they had put against the door back out of the way. And Amber is looking through the like vents in the bottom of the door and she sees Darcy's feet. But as Pat opens the door wider, she sees the red laced boots of some of the other thugs that are there. And she immediately realizes it's a trap, but it's too late. Pat already has his hand through the door, handing them the gun and they grab him by the arm. And he's screaming like crazy while the rest of the band is trying to pull him back in and once they pull him back in you know the gun is gone he's dropped the gun but you know you see that they were just hacking at his arm with machetes and knives and his hand is almost completely cut off it is barely hanging on you can see bone and sinew but like his hand is almost completely chopped off yeah and he's got all kinds of the big heavy slashes across his arm so he's Pat is like freaking the hell out so they get the door shut and locked again and all of this destruction Disturbance. Big Justin gets up and tries to like fight his way through everybody. Reese gets him in a chokehold again. Just after they think he's unconscious, he, like, wakes back up and surprises them. And Reese legitimately starts to choke him out. And Amber looks down and just says, can you do this? Do you have this? Implying, like, are you going to go all the way and actively, like, choke him out and kill him to where we don't have to worry about him anymore? And you can tell Reese is, like, kind of waffling a little bit because he was all about, like, let me, like, beat the hell out of this dude. But actually choking him out until he's dead is a different thing. And once Amber sees that he's kind of iffy about it, She just calmly takes that box cutter that they took out of his, out of big Justin's pocket and slices his stomach all the way up to his chest and his guts just immediately open up and he's dead. He's already unconscious from the choke out, but now he is definitely dead. Yeah, And that just kind of like brings like another layer of, Oh Jesus Christ, what the fuck did we just do to the whole situation?
0: And the whole time this band thinks that Amber is like straight up with the cause basically like, totally a neo-nazi as well so they're already not trusting her i mean granted she's acting in a way that like she just watched her best friend get killed in front of her but they also like she's being kind of cryptic and being very distant and then doing something like this with like no hesitation just kind of further makes the band kind of freak out and not trust her as much
1: yeah i mean her interests are not their interests but they happen to align right now in this moment so they're kind of reluctantly working with her At this point, Cousin Dan shows back up. He drives back up to the venue, sees all the commotion and wonders what's going on. Um, So he, you know, asks Darcy, like, hey, what's happening? And Darcy lies and tells him that the band is holed up inside and that they killed the girl, Emily, and possibly hurt Big Justin as well. And you can see that when they tell him, like, Emily's dead and they did it, that Dan gets, like, really angry so the band in the green room is continuing to like look for a way out tiger kind of sees some light between the floorboards and so he starts smashing away the floorboards while they're also like looking for vents and they're trying to smash their way through the drywall and the ceiling but they smash their way through the floorboards and find they're over this underground drug lab and they go explore it and they're basically just making heroin like I mentioned earlier they're they're making the heroin and they're getting other people to distribute it so looking around the lab they find that like you know the only exits are all locked from the outside already so there's not much that they can do from there
0: drug lab is literally neon green as well from based off the lighting yeah so yet another reference this one more of a direct reference to a literal green room so yeah they kind of realize they're stuck so at this point they start being like well there's no other way out of this they start arming themselves with improvised weapons one of them had takes one of the fluorescent lights breaks the end of it to make it kind of like a spear like a spiky end they're like all right we're doing this not maybe and there's even one line where one of them says Not all of us will probably get out of this alive, but maybe if even one of us makes it alive, it's worth it, sort of kind of speech pat's been in and out of it he's been screaming but then he's also been out of it from blood loss and and the injury he sustained while they're like trying to figure out what they want to do he just starts randomly talking about this paintball trip at this guy's bachelor party that they were going to and they're all like pat what the fuck are you talking about you're just out of it we need to figure out what we're doing here
1: meanwhile tiger found some duct tape down in the drug lab and tiger is like literally duct taping his arm back together (laughs) yeah
0: and then also too as they're like about to exit the room like they just kind of under their breath say like the actual band that they would take with them on a desert island one of them is like Madonna another was like a dad rock band like Steely Dan or something like that
1: and I think Reese said Prince yeah, Prince, um, yeah. Amber does say like Madonna and Slayer yeah and again Pat doesn't quite give an answer he doesn't finish the paintball story either he just kind of like slides back out of consciousness a little bit and they're all just kind of like okay whatever
0: yeah so I liked that touch because it shows that they have their own secret th- artists that they love, but they might feel a little embarrassed in admitting they love them more than like punk music or metal. Yeah. And I so I thought that was an, a nice touch. But they open the door, one of them throws that fucking fluorescent light like a spear, expecting someone to be on the other end, and it just hits the wall all the way at the end of the hallway and the hallway is empty. Yeah, nobody's there. They start exiting the green room.
1: So they go back out into the venue and the venue's totally empty at this point. There's you know music playing over the loudspeakers, but that's kind of it. And as they're kind of creeping their way through all of a sudden the accountant guy that we saw earlier enters the building with attack dogs and immediately 60 the attack dogs on him and right away one of them takes down Tiger and just it tears into his neck and he is immediately taken out then turns its attention to Amber. Pat does kind of wrestle with the dog a little bit you know meanwhile Reese goes through a back window that he finds unlocked but as soon as he gets out the window there's already some skinheads waiting for him and they literally like hack and stab him to death
0: this is like a zero to 60 moment too yeah Uh, like you expect a couple of them to die but right off the bat two of them are taken out within the span of like what 30 fucking seconds or something like that especially that part where Reese goes out the window and then is immediately like hacked to death I wouldn't say it's a jump scare it might be for some but it's very sudden and very unsettling
1: yeah sam even finds like a different door but as soon as she goes out of the door there's already somebody there waiting and she hits him with a fire extinguisher and barely gets the door shut again so Pat and Amber are wrestling with the dog on the stage and the microphone stand is laying there and Amber is beating the dog in the head with the microphone stand trying to get it off of her and the mic leaning into one of the monitors is causing loud, pitchy feedback and Pat notices this so he immediately like slams the mic onto the monitor and creates this loud feedback that drives the dog off. So the dog runs out of the building whimpering and Pat barely out of the corner of his eye sees the set list taped to the stage from the band previous and he snatches it off in his pocket and then Pat and Amber and Sam all run back into the green room and like shut the door and barricade everything back up again. So the dogs are now like out of the question the accountant guy is kind of upset because these are like his personal dogs that he's raised and the dogs are clearly like not gonna work going forward.
0: One of the dogs is whimpering and it's weird to see like this really fucked up guy who's like using german words as their commands be oddly sympathetic to the dogs like they're his own children yeah cuz he's telling darcy like i'm not sending them back again cuz look what they did to them and
1: it's like dude your dogs literally ripped the throat out of somebody what do you mean what happened to the dogs so cousin dan he's still angry from finding out that the band killed emily he volunteers to go in the club and like take care of the remaining witnesses and Darcy kind of reluctantly agrees and says like yeah take this other guy with you go so Dan and this other guy make their way in they kick open the door of the green room push their way in and immediately like they kind of because the situation's not what they were told they were told oh the band was holding these people hostage the band killed this girl you know this this wild band that's causing all the trouble and they get in there and clearly find like that's not Not the situation. Amber knows Dan. You know, she tells him immediately, hey, Worm from the other band, he's the guy that killed Emily. And he killed Emily because he found out that you and her were planning to leave the, like, skinhead group entirely. So, you kind of figure out, like, they put two and two together that the napkin with Fleischwolf written on it was the name of one of the song's... From the band previous, and that was the cue for them to like leave the venue, get in the car, and leave off together.
0: Was Gabe in on it at all then? Because I know there was that part where the Ain't It Rights were on stage, the two girls went up to Gabe, and Gabe slipped them something.
1: I get the hunch that that was the case because the next scene cuts back outside to Darcy and Darcy is kind of getting a hunch of what's going on because he reluctantly sent Daniel in after them. But he just asks Gabe, why specifically did you like tell Dan he wasn't going to work the front tonight? Because normally he like works cover. Gabe was just kind of like, you know, oh yeah, I don't don't really know. I'm not 100% sure. And he kind of like waves it away. But Darcy looks over, sees the car, that Daniel rode up in, and he walks over, pops the trunk, and finds a bunch of packed luggage in the trunk, and a photo of Emily and Dan together, and then he starts looking a little bit deeper in the trunk, and finds a metal baseball bat wrapped in plastic and he kind of puts everything together in his head and he tells gabe look they were planning on getting out this bat was from a similar kind of murder incident the year before and that bat could completely incriminate all them so they were planning on like ditching the entire group and using that bat as like leverage to basically like have the whole thing shut down and so at that point he's like you know worm by killing emily basically just saved everybody because now this evidence is never going to get out
0: ironic since he gave worm that fucked up dope to like
1: kill him off too (laughs) so let's stop here for a hot second that is all the detail that's given in that moment i the first time i watched this and now even more i get the hunch that emily might be darcy's daughter Do you?
0: No. Uh, Explain, because I'm very curious.
1: I mean, just in general, like, I think Emily is the daughter of Darcy. Because Darcy, like, clearly kind of has a hunch that something was going on with the two of them. He knows that Dan, there seems to be a relationship there that's hinted at through the writing and through, like, their interactions with each other, like, you get the hint that, like, there's a little bit more going on between them, and that Darcy is kind of purposely keeping Daniel at an arm's length, but... I I think that Emily is Darcy's daughter, and she was going to run away with Dan. And, you know, maybe there have been hints of this in the past, and that's why Darcy's a little more on edge about Emily. The only thing that makes me not think that is that, you know, Darcy you would think would be a lot more, like, vengeful if he found out that his daughter was killed. Yeah. But maybe it's kind of to the point where, like, he's just already that cold and he's already that detached from her to begin with that, like, he just kind of views her as property. She's just this thing. Like, he doesn't have that relationship with her, you know, father-daughter-wise.
0: It's funny you brought this up because there was actually a moment in the movie where I thought that Amber was actually either his daughter or related to him in some way because I think there's a throwaway line and I could be, just making this up in my head but I swear I one of the lines or a couple of lines he emphasizes kill the band keep the girl alive keep Amber alive yeah we need Amber I inferred from either that like she's related to him in some way or they want to keep her because they want to torture more information out of her or something I don't know what are your thoughts on that
1: I mean it could also just be that like he knows that Amber is Emily's friend and so if Amber then also like goes missing It will be easy to put two and two together and see, oh, well, Amber's gone. Well, her friend is also dead now as well. Let's connect the dots and trace everything back to, like, this whole group that they hang back with. So I could see it being one of those things where, like, they're basically just going to threaten the shit out of her and tell her, like you know you're basically already dead but you're gonna be for real dead if you talk or say anything so this is just something that you have to deal with so that's the impression that i get is it's more just like you know she is a liability if we kill her more than she's a liability if we just like let her live and threaten the hell out of her
0: yeah so anyway too another thing that darcy has been emphasizing is like telling these like true believers kill them only using blades don't use guns because guns are much harder to cover up
1: well too for how they're gonna stage and it. how
0: they're gonna stage it yep
1: stab them don't hit bone don't stab too much from a forensic standpoint he wants it to be as clean as possible
0: but then this is kind of right around the time where one of these scenes outside the bar with Darcy like talking and giving commands they're like we have two bodies we need just one more and then we can just get the rest with guns and so they are like he's basically giving the okay being like this is taking too long this is becoming a giant mess fuck it it's okay to use guns now
1: in order for them staging all this bullshit and trying to make it all look like an accident they basically have to have it done by x time because they still have to call it into the police and the police have to get there so if the whole idea is like in the middle of the night the band was siphoning gas on their property and they were killed because we sick dogs on them or whatever like okay they've got to have that police call in by like four in the morning or whatever so they're rushing to get everything done and it's just taking long Daniel you know again kind of reluctantly agrees to help them escape at this point because now like he knows that Darcy and them know that he was trying to get away so he's now just as much a traitor as anything
0: before he even walked in the green room he told the other skinhead piss off basically I'll take care of this alone and the other skinhead was just like what are you talking about bro and he's like no seriously I'll handle this alone he goes off and then he comes back outside and Darcy was kind of like what the hell is going on and he said I don't know Daniel said he just wanted to handle it. Handle- it alone, and that's when Darcy decided to go take a look at the car. That
1: he yeah, had. he kind of puts two and two together. Then, so they leave the green room and they go back in the main venue. And Daniel says, "There's a shotgun stashed behind the bar. Let me go grab that real quick." And as soon as he gets to the bar. Lamb, he's blasted in the head by the bartender who has already come back inside and found the shotgun that was stashed there
0: this could be another potential jump scare because it is a like quiet moment and then just literally interrupted by his head nearly exploding and shotgun blast yeah
1: so they all immediately kind of rush the bartender before he can kill any of the rest of them and pat machetes the bartender in the neck and amber takes the shotgun so they rush for the front door because now this gunfire's gone off you know there's no surprise anymore so they rush the front door and immediately all the skinheads outside open fire amber gets shot in the leg so she's wounded sam immediately gets killed by one of the dogs like they throw a dog out and she barely gets a shot off and misses but the dog attacks and kills her and pat and amber like barely scramble back inside the green room like you mentioned now they have their three bodies and they can just kind of scrub the fourth and not worry about it.
0: And the van keys is on Sam's body. Yeah, This sucked because Sam was... Probably my favorite character out of the bandmates. And it just kind of was like one of those shitty things where like she was first, went too far outside. Amber kind of got wounded and they kind of were stumbling over each other to get back inside. And she got caught by the dog because she was the closest one. And at one point, Pat's hesitating, like wants to save her. And she even valiantly screams at them to get back inside right before the dog like tears her throat out.
1: Yeah. And like you said, they find the van keys on her body because they need to move the van as well. They need to, like, move it kind of closer to where the property is um, and get it away from the venue. Darcy and Gabe go back into the, like, office trailer. And they're making some last final minute preparations. And Darcy gives Gabe his red shoelaces. Like, he finally earned his red shoelaces. This is also where he alludes to basically silencing the band that caused the whole ordeal with the batch of bad dope so darcy and a few other people leave with the van with the three dead band members to like go stage the trespassing back at the home deeper in the woods um and leaves gabe and a few others back on the venue premises to finish taking out amber and pat
0: a one last kind of touch i don't remember exactly when this happens in the film but another thing to just add another insidious layer on darcy's character at one point uh, i think it was gabe asked hey is he dead to uh reese i think. Or one of the whoever got killed by the dog first, I think it was Tiger actually. They kind of like look at him, and Tiger is actually still technically like bleeding out and breathing. And Darcy's just like, No, he's still alive. And Gabe kind of looks at him like, What should we do about this? And Darcy goes, Let him bleed out. It'll look better for forensics. But almost in a way that's like, No, fuck this kid. He's going to bleed out and die slow.
1: Yeah. So back in the green room, Pat finishes the story about playing paintball. Basically, like they were split up and they were playing paintball against a group of like actual marines and getting their ass kicked because they were professionals and they were using hand signals and tactics and all this other stuff What kind of turned the tide of that paintball match was one of his friends going, like, full Rambo kamikaze crazy, rushing the group of Marines, and he just, in this giant burst of, like, crazy energy, took all of them out. Apparently, this paintball story is, like, a real story from Jeremy Soutnier. Like, that really happened. The guy that he talks about is, like, one of his actual friends. So, they send two more skinheads in to finish off Pat and Amber with, you know, one of the other dogs. So the microphone feedback cuts back on again and the dog runs out of the building just like before and the dog just runs off into the woods.
0: Still carrying its chain, which this comes back later. Yeah.
1: They go back to the green room and find the green room empty. Pat basically like sees one and says hey fucko and he's got like war paint on now. They found a sharpie and he like marks up his face and like shaved his head to kind of blend in and they like tore their clothes up a little bit more so they're just going like full crazy at this point. He jumps through the hole in the floor into the drug lab to lead one of the skinheads down there. So one jumps in after him. The other one turns off the monitor that was back in the green room that was causing the microphone feedback and he's kind of sitting on the edge of the hole with the gun covering the other one. So Pat basically lures the one skinhead kind of deeper into the drug lab to distract him And the other one, while being just kind of, like, focusing on what's happening down there, we see Amber, like, crawl out quietly from the cushions in the couch. And she slashes his throat with the box cutter and dumps his body down below. And the other skinhead down below basically wrestles with Pat for the shotgun. And, you know, they're counting down, like, how many rounds he has. And they're both trying to psych out this one guy with the shotgun. But eventually, it works.
0: Well, she even uses... Her friend's body at one point. The first shot that they get this guy to waste, she like dangles the body of the other skinhead and he thinks it's her. So he shoots her the leg and she drops the body because then she did it with, I think, Big Justin. He said, Yeah, that's not going to work. I know that's Big Justin or whatever. And so she throws his body down. The third time is when it works because then she uses her friend's body and the skinhead forgot about the third body and thinks it's her and shoots again. And that's the second shot wasted. And he basically runs runs out of those three shots, and that's when they start wrestling for the gun.
1: Yeah, so as Pat and the other skinhead are wrestling for the shotgun, Amber jumps down and just kind of shoots him in the head with the pistol that she took off the other skinhead.
0: Like, one in the neck and one in the head. It was pretty brutal.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They both climb back out of the drug lab, and it's right as Gabe is, like, walking in. And he has been, like, off in the main venue, starting to clean up already. Like, he's literally pressure-washing blood off the walls and pulling the other bodies of like the bartender and stuff like that like out to where they can collect them so he walks in with a dumbfounded look apron on and all this other stuff and he's just like shocked and it's just kind of like uh all right i give the fuck up let's figure this out so they basically like hold him hostage and
0: leading up to this too once again even when he like earned his laces quote-unquote he was not happy about any of it he didn't he was just kind of like what the fuck have i gotten myself into this wasn't surrender or we're gonna kill you type a moment he just straight up was like look i'm just gonna help you guys now fuck it yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm out fuck this
1: so holding gabe at gunpoint they start to make their way through the woods back up to the house where they're staging the crime scene they get close enough and they hear darcy and his men like actively shooting guns and they hear the dogs clearly like setting everything up so gabe basically says hey, look, I'm sorry. I don't want to be in this shit anymore. Trust me. There's a farm near here. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go get help and I'm going to call the police. And so they they reluctantly like let him go.
0: He almost begs them to come with him because he's like, you're not going to like what you see if you go up there and see what they're doing.
1: So Pat and Amber decide to head up to the house because Pat's basically like, look, I don't have anything to fucking live for at this point. My three friends are all dead and Amber's like, yeah, I got to see this is finished as well too. So they They get up to the house, you know, they're nearing the edge, they see their van, they see the accountant guy that had the dogs and the other skinhead who drove the van up. They essentially take both of them at gunpoint and start walking up to the main house. Once they get close, they actually encounter Darcy, and he's prepping, trying to stage things. They find him, and the accountant kind of starts mouthing off a little bit, and Amber just immediately wastes him to show that, like, they're serious at this point. And Darcy kind of makes some joke about, like, all right, are we really going to do this? You know, blah, 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 and think through this. Y'all are smarter. And when everything is kind of still, you know, they basically are like, look, the cops are coming. We're all just going to fucking stand here until the police get here and in like that moment of tension Darcy immediately like turns and starts heavy walking back while drawing a gun from his pants to cause a distraction
0: the other skinhead starts trying to make a move and immediately gets blasted by them yeah keep in mind he's around his dead friends bodies because like Darcy was in the middle of staging this the fucking hose to siphon the gas was in the vehicle already yeah he's surrounded by his best friends and like what causes Darcy to like turn around go fuck them and like start heavy walking is pat looks at darcy and he's just like you know it's funny now that the light is out and it's early morning like you seemed so scary last night and that's when darcy realizes pat's probably about to fucking shoot him anyway and that's when he like heavy walks backwards the other skinhead makes a move he gets blasted Darcy starts pulling a revolver from his jacket immediately eats shots from behind and is like struggling and he turns around to get a shot off they continue shooting him he does get a shot off but it misses both of them I think it goes between both of them and then he finally falls over dead
1: now that kind of all the immediate threats are done you know we see Gabe make his way out of the woods toward where this farm was and there's already people outside and he just kind of says like hey somebody called the police it cuts back to Pat and he and Amber just kind of go sit down on the edge of the driveway and they're just kind of sitting there like exhausted
0: yeah and there's another quick cut to worm and one of his bandmates like i guess back at their place or their trailer or wherever and one of the bandmates is clearly already dead with the needle still sticking out of his arm i think it's worm or maybe the other guy is like in the middle of dying basically because he just shot up
1: Actually, Worm is just sitting there eating cereal and watching TV while his bandmate is dying of an overdose, which is just a perfect example of the terrible level of banality that there is to the evil in this movie. So Pat and Amber are sitting on the edge of the driveway, just kind of waiting at this point. They're just waiting for the cops to show up, but they're just exhausted. Pat finally breaks the silence and just says like, all right, I got it. I know what my desert island band is and the last line of the movie is just amber saying tell someone who gives a shit smash to black and credence clearwater revivals sinister purpose starts playing possibly the only like joke in the movie
0: maybe at the
1: very end yeah it's such a good fucking ending though and It's kind of a cheat, I guess. It's kind of like a cheap cheat. But Sonia has said that was one of two answers. There is another answer that I'm not going to tell you because only I and, like, Anton Yelchin, like, knew about it. So there is apparently, like, another Desert Island band, but it's, you know, he's never going to, like, reveal what it was. But, yep, that's the movie.
0: Wow. So next audition, this was maybe the most intense subject matter and movie that we've tackled?
1: It is to me, certainly. I I had a really strong response to this movie when I saw it for the first time.
0: Yeah, you, you told me the first time you saw it, it legit terrified you.
1: Not terrified as much as just it fucked me up afterward, just right. that that exhaustion and the feeling of intensity and hopelessness that that movie kind of puts you through all the way to the end.
0: I will say I did feel a little bit of that because I felt like I had to kind of take a shower after I watched it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily scary as much as it is just putting you 100% in that place of anxiety and in that place of like, what would you do? And that goes back to the whole, like, inept protagonist trilogy that these four kids were just stuck in this shitty situation, and they had no idea, like, their way out of it. And ultimately, like, three of them died. They either made bad decisions, or they were just stuck in a hopeless, cold, uncaring, like, shitty reality, you know, and that's how it ended up all said and done. Yeah. But as far as movies that put you in that place of feeling like you're in the movie and in the situation, I have very very few movies have ever done that to me and this one was the first in years where i felt that claustrophobic and that anxious the entire time that i was watching it and i i really like had to like chill the fuck out the entire rest of the night
0: yeah no understandable but just to finish things off on maybe a more light-hearted
1: note aaron what is your desert island band oh jesus um or artist i don't know because it, it's gonna change like any day of the week if you ask me like one day it'll be Soundgarden, the other day it'll be Pixies, then it'll be Smashing Pumpkins, but just their first three albums. <laughs> um I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a great answer for that, honestly. I'm kind of in a pet situation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm 100% like you are. Like, my answer changes all the time, it depends on my mood, depends on the day, all that stuff. But I do have two choices. I would just have to make it between these two. The, and If I was given the choice right now at this very moment of this recording, I would either say Caius. Or Beastie Boys.
1: Yeah. Yeah, those are two good options. Beastie Boys would be a potential option on my list, too.
0: I also thought, honestly, jizz's Liquid Swords, by far my favorite hip-hop album of, like, all time. And I could listen to that album for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. Well... That does it for this week's episode of Watch If You Dare. Yeah. Once
0: again, shout out to your little brother, Party Gator, yep. on Bandcamp, and he does our opening and closing themes.
1: Um, one of his side projects, Opossums, just put out their EP called Trash Candy, so definitely check that out as well. It's also on Bandcamp. Definitely give him a listen. Um, And again, check us out on social media. Um, We're on Facebook and Twitter at Watch If You Dare. Download future episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play,
0: and now Podcoin Podcoin as well.
1: And our main Podbean page. So. Please subscribe, rate, review. You know, we've really enjoyed seeing a lot of the feedback across Twitter and Facebook. So definitely keep talking, keep engaging with us. At this time, we are close
0: to 150 reviews on iTunes and that's fucking amazing. Thank you guys so much. Hopefully we can get a push to go past 150 soon. So please keep
1: rating and reviewing us. Tell your friends that are in the movies, and the horror movies specifically, tell them to give us a listen. We would definitely appreciate it. So just like in the movie, they kind of gave their answers for their Desert Island Bands, then actually revealed their real Desert Island Bands. So that said, what would your real Desert Island Band be? Fuck Caius, fuck
0: Jizza, fuck Beastie Boys. My real one is Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Specifically, chocolate starfish and the hot dog
1: flavored water. Oh uh, yeah, middle school. I think mine would be the Icelandic Princess Bjork and all of her like little soft weirdness so <laughs> yeah
0: i mean that's more of a legitimate one than mine so.
1: <laughs> all right y'all have a good week tell us what your desert island bands are and what your real desert island bands are and we will catch y'all later have a fantastic week